This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sometimes you need to take control to make a difference. That's why with FlexPath from Capella University, you're in control. Set your own deadlines and leverage your experience to move at a pace that works for you. Discover a different way forward at capella.edu. This is a crowd podcast. It's November 2014, and Reddit's just got a new CEO, an Asian-American woman called Ellen Pao. She's on a mission to rid Reddit of its objectionable content, and she dives headfirst into it. But within a few months, it's all over. Multiple change.org petitions have racked up over 200,000 signatures, calling for her dismissal. Ellen Powell's a Nazi, some of them are saying. Sly, manipulative. And they win the fight. She quits. After facing a tumultuous user revolt over the past week, Reddit CEO Ellen Powell has stepped down. Some have also called it the man cave of the internet. And now many are wondering if this is another instance of sexism at play in Silicon Valley. Or was she just simply the wrong person for the job? Fast forward seven years to today, and Reddit's not far off its 20th birthday. It'll soon be fledging into young adulthood, leaving behind its rocky teen years and deciding what it wants to be. But the stories of its first 17 years of existence are shrouded in such controversy and change. Mysterious appointments, rushed dismissals, and I want to understand what its first two decades have been like. Over this series, I've been meeting and talking to the Redditors on the ground, just some of the 52 million daily users, making a tiny dent in the almost 3 million subreddits where they congregate. But that word, Reddit, also means the corporation behind those users, the admin. But who is the admin? The ones running the show? Because unlike the Wikipedia employees, none of them wanted to speak to us for this series. That has certainly been a common trend with Reddit since the very beginning. They're very territorial. They're very private. This is the story of Reddit the company. Reddit the corporate machine. Its highs, its lows. Because I've seen battles playing out. A game of tug of war between the admin and the moderators. A fight over who's really got their fingers wrapped around the puppet strings. So... For the final time in this season of .com, I'm Katie Puckrick, and you're listening to Reddit Land, and this is Episode 6, The Glass Cliff. We already know how Reddit.com popped into being back in 2005. 
College roommates Alexis and Steve, Ohanian and Huffman, had their light bulb moment while at the University of Virginia. Fired up with the idea that they're going to make the world suck less, Alexis conjured up a drawing of Snoo, the site's alien logo, in the back of a textbook one day. They traveled to Boston to secure funding, and boom, with $100,000 in seed funding, they've done it. They're not even 23, and they've founded what will eventually become the U.S.'s seventh most visited website. The front page of the internet, they're calling it. And they slot into their roles pretty quickly. Alexis, a self-proclaimed unequivocal nerd, is the lovable face of the company. Excitable, charismatic. Steve's the quieter one, less instantly likable, but clearly a smart kid. But what then? Well, the company expands. They bring on more staff, including a teenager, a child prodigy called Aaron. Remember that name. He's our murky admin number one, and we're going to come back to him. A year in, Steve and Alexis sell the site to a company called Condé Nast for a reported 10 to $20 million, and the offices move to San Francisco. Baby Reddit has become a toddler, taking its first wobbly steps into the corporate world. And around this time, Aaron leaves, quietly and mysteriously, for undisclosed reasons, apparently. Again, we're going to come back to that. In 2010, the site more than triples in page views and bandwidth count from the previous year. By 2011, it's reached a billion page views a month, a number which has doubled a year later. It's growing exponentially. And then the teen years arrive. Sometimes lovely and cute, sometimes kind of cruddy, moody, and downright awful. Subs like jailbait and beating women are getting the site a crooked reputation. It's terrible, people are saying. It thrives on chaos. Trolls and sexists are running wild, and no one's safe. Enter murky admin number two. A 40-something woman by the name of Ellen Powell. A historic appointment for Reddit the company's first-ever female CEO and the first person of color to hold the post. And I've got my eye on her, because her tale's pretty shocking. A phrase that she used, and a phrase that's obviously thrown around quite a bit in all different industries, is kind of the glass cliff. And I do believe she faced that issue. It's a Tuesday afternoon sometime in February this year, and I've got Fernando back on the phone, our Reddit reporter. He's covered all the corporate drama during his time with various publications, The Daily Dot, Forbes, CNN. So I want the insider story on Ellen. Because, as I mentioned, no one from Reddit itself wanted to talk to us. Anna, my producer, has been trying to get a hold of them for ages. Reddit is not in a place right now where they're able to commit to a specific interview for this, says one email. So, Fernando's our guy. That has certainly been a common trend with Reddit since the very beginning. They're very territorial. They're very private. It's pretty fascinating. Anyway, we were talking about Ellen Powell and this glass cliff she found herself on. Glass cliff. And I do believe she faced that issue. You know, this idea that you elevate, uh, promote, or hire uh, a woman to to come in in a leadership role at any type of organization. Um, But that organization is essentially in turmoil and 
you know, this this person that they're bringing in is facing kind of an uphill battle, sometimes an insurmountable uh, battle. We also tried to get a hold of Ellen. She's now the CEO of a nonprofit that champions diversity and inclusion in the tech industry. But she wasn't keen either. She prefers to avoid opining on Reddit since it's been several years since she was with the company, says her PR person. Which, when you know her story, you'll understand. An insurmountable battle indeed. In late 2014, Reddit CEO was a guy called Yashan Wang. He'd resigned, though, following disagreements with the direction the company was taking. And so, in November, enter Ellen Pao. I think she certainly did her best in trying to curtail a lot of the uh, misogyny, a lot of the destructive communities on Reddit. And she had the best intentions in a community that's got so many different personalities, so many different rules, so many different, you know, deep history. And I think it was rather disappointing to see her left holding the bag for long-standing issues the company had faced. Let me explain. Ellen's crime was trying to clear the site up. The sub jailbait, where users shared illicit photos of underage girls, had been banned a few years earlier, but there was still a ton of awful content. Under Ellen's watch, five more subs are soon banned, the biggest one being fat people hate, and another one being shit people say, except replace people with the N-word. And she also changes the site's policy on revenge porn. Want to send non-consensual nudes? Nope, not allowed. But Redditors aren't best pleased. It smells a little too much like censorship for their liking. And then something else happens. There's another woman at the company called Victoria Taylor. She was Reddit's director of talent at the time and coordinated their AMAs, Ask Me Anything, question and answer sessions, which at Reddit are huge. Over the years, they've had a lot of big dogs on the AMAs. Bill Gates, Donald Trump, Edward Snowden, Obama. Anyway, Victoria Taylor worked under Ellen, and she doesn't necessarily help Ellen's case. She was kind of pushed out of the company under Ellen's tenure. And a lot of people, a lot of longstanding users, moderators, felt that it was Ellen's doing. And in the end, after further reporting was done in the media, it was proven to actually not be her decision. It was actually Ohanian's decision, uh, reportedly Ohanian's decision. He means Alexis Ohanian. And again, I think it shows that, you know, that tribe mentality, you know, when you have somebody who is beloved in this community, whether it's an employee at Reddit or certain celebrities over time, anything to kind of go against the grain or go against, you know, these beliefs that people hold about these these folks really can rile up a community and result in, in an incredible amount of action. So, Victoria's gone and the flame in the anti-Ellen fires just had a can of gasoline poured all over it. Racist YouTube videos appear, comparing her to the Chinese communist dictator Chairman Mao, and threads discussing her cunning ways are pinging like crazy. A Nazi, people start to call her, and a sub called Ellen Pao is a C-U-N-T 
pings into being. It gets too much. Coupled with the discovery that Ellen had recently taken a previous employer to court for gender discrimination, a case that she would eventually lose, Victoria's dismissal is the final straw. A petition calling for Ellen to be ousted gets more than 200,000 signatures. Pow is a manipulative individual who will sue her way to the top, they say. It, it was just a, a pretty tremendous fall in such a short period of time for, like you said, and, and uh, you know, a, a woman of color, a uh, historic hire for the company. Uh, and it was just incredibly disappointing and very sad to see that happen. Do you think the company did enough to support her in her attempt to crack down on revenge porn and hate speech? I don't think so. I think that there was certainly more that the company should have done to support her. But, you know, the time had come for the site to start being cleaned up, these communities to kind of be shut down. There definitely should have been more support, I think, for her leading up to the her hire and during. So she leaves. In her resignation statement, Ellen writes that she's seen the good, the bad, and the ugly on Reddit. The good has been off-the-wall inspiring, and the ugly has made me doubt humanity. Ellen's story isn't the first time Reddit's admin has come under scrutiny. Oh, no. It's an eerie echo of something that had happened a number of years before, and something that would happen again a few years later. Enter murky admin number one a young man called Aaron, Aaron Schwartz. He was brought on in the early days of Reddit back in 2005, dubbed by some a co-founder, by others just an early employee. Aaron was this kind of a fascinating person who was this just remarkable programmer and entrepreneur. Hacktivist is certainly a word to describe him. And just really kind of was like a perfect fit for a place like Reddit back then because of how plucky the site was, how upstart it was. And he was a young guy, wasn't he? He was, Yeah, he was very young. Like this was, I believe he was in uh, just in his yeah early 20s when this all happened. Mm-hmm. Aaron becomes a millionaire aged 19 when Reddit is bought by Condé Nast, famously the owner of Wired, in 2006. For 10 to 20 million dollars, remember. Following the sale, Reddit's offices moved to San Francisco. And shortly after that sale happened, Aaron had blogged about his discomfort and dissatisfaction with like kind of the corporate environment that was starting to develop around Reddit, right? Like this company was maturing. It was losing maybe a bit of like kind of that rogue, freewheeling sense that, you know, he, he loved. And... Um, Shortly after that blog, it was like less than three months later, essentially, he was fired. The first day I showed up here, I simply couldn't take it, he writes in a blog post about working for Condé Nast. I can't imagine staying sane with someone buzzing in my ear all day, let alone getting some actual work done. Aaron hated working for a corporation, his brother would say later. They all hated working for Condé Nast, he says. But Aaron is like the only one who's not going to take it, and he basically gets himself fired by not showing up for work ever. See, here's the thing about Aaron. By all accounts, he's a genius. He'd started coding young, and at the age of 12, had developed something called the Infobase, which was basically a prototype of Wikipedia. And remember what Fernando called him? Hacktivist is certainly a word to describe him. You can get a sense of who he was by watching videos of him. He's got jet black hair that's sometimes long and shaggy and sometimes messily cropped. He blinks a lot. 
and his whole being radiates with this energy, an obsession with the future of the digital world, with how it's run and how it's censored by people in power. It's called COICA, the Combating Online Infringement and Counterfeiting Act. A fervor for free access to knowledge. Basically, I want to ask five questions about Wikipedia. I want to tell you about the amazing success story. And is increasing concern with the monetization of the online. On the internet, the cost of making one additional copy is free. So everything gets driven down to free. You're not going to be able to make money through the old models of selling individual copies anymore because there are just too many of them. That was Aaron talking, by the way. And it seems that this freewheeling, roguish sense of self-righteousness would become his downfall. It's January 2011, about five years since Aaron left Reddit in disgust. And he's been catapulted into the limelight. He's been caught by MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, downloading academic articles from the digital library JSTOR en masse. He'd set up a laptop in a small closet at the college, linked it up to the network, and was downloading hundreds of PDFs by the minute, all in the name of free access to information. MIT arrests him, and he's given a 35-year-long sentence for breaking and entering and wire fraud. A brilliant computer programmer, a world-class university, and a federal prosecutor. A three-way collision that some speculate led to a deepening depression for 26-year-old Aaron Swartz. But it doesn't end there. Fast forward two years. January 13th, 2013. Aaron's girlfriend walks into his apartment in Brooklyn and finds his hanging body. Suicide. No note. He's 26. The government killed my son, writes his father. Tim Berners-Lee, the founder of The Web, speaks at his funeral. A film is made about him called The Internet's Own Boy, and he's eventually inducted into the Internet Hall of Fame. I ask Fernando if there's a feeling on Reddit that Aaron was a hero, a martyr. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think his name continually gets brought up on the site in, in those terms, right? Is that here was this man who uh, was a big part of Reddit's history early on, um, who, again, believed in this uncensored exchange of ideas and thoughts, not only on like kind of the juvenile level of like Reddit, but on like kind of the more polished level, like in academic journals. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it kind of goes without saying, I think at this point that he is definitely a, a, among like one of the most beloved people on Reddit to this day. Was there a sense after he was found dead by suicide that MIT were the bad guys? You know, I mean, Reddit does see, <laughs> like Redditors do see, I think, the world in, in black and white terms like that. I think that there is no love loss for that a lot of longtime Redditors have for the part MIT played uh, in the lawsuit and things like that. But that ain't all for Reddit corporate drama. It's now 2019. Ellen Powell's long gone, and it's still a year or so until the Donald will be banned. Steve Huffman's been the CEO for a few years, having taken over from Ellen when she left. And it's during his time that a third weird admin story comes to the fore. Enter murky admin number three. You might know her name, Amy Knight, or Amy Challoner, her name before she married. She's a British activist, former electoral candidate for the left-wing Green Party, and a super-keen Reddit moderator. 
who, last year at the age of 23, had been hired by Reddit as an admin. Goodbye, free labor. Hello, San Francisco. What had ended up happening was that there was an article that was shared after she had been hired, bringing up a lot of the issues that her father had faced, these sex crimes involving children that he was ultimately convicted of. Amy's dad, David Challoner, had gotten 22 years in prison a few years earlier for an absolutely horrifying crime. The rape and torture of a 10-year-old girl in the attic at their family home. Reddit administrators, in an effort, it seems like, to protect their employee had prevented this article from proliferating around Reddit. And that really, as I'm sure your listeners can surmise by now, really riled Reddit up, you know, in terms of the moderators and these different communities who felt like there was this censoring happening of this employee who had like this controversial family background. Controversial background and also kind of a controversial person herself. See, Amy's a trans woman, a politician, and an activist. And Fernando figures this might have had a part to play in Reddit's decision to act so swiftly in censoring this article about her father to protect their employee. But Redditors hate it. It's censorship, they're saying. We deserve to know the truth. Amy must have known about her father's crimes, surely. So why did she then go on and hire him as her election agent when she ran for the Greens? Something is off. In a move I'm now very familiar with, over 200 subs go dark. Their settings changed to private. And once again, the pressure builds on Reddit and they eventually cave. She's fired. As they admitted to, as as, as Steve Huffman admitted to, they just did not vet her background enough um, before hiring her. Yeah, um, it's interesting because this is another example of the power of communities to enact change, putting pressure on the admin to get rid of her. Um, but how would you characterize that relationship between the users and the admin? I mean, um, are they resentful of the fact that they have to answer to the community or is it kind of a teachable moment for them or how do they consider that? It, it definitely, I think it was this kind of rude wake-up call for them that, wow, anybody we hire at Reddit really needs to be put through almost like a presidential level of vetting, you know, because there is no nothing that I think Redditors won't try to uncover about people they either hiring or elevating somehow on the platform. I mean, we've seen this in similar sense of like kind of the rise and fall of beloved figures like Woody Harrelson, who, you know, do something that's perceived to be disrespectful or controversial and fall from grace pretty quickly because Reddit unearthed something or they harp on something. And what what was the Woody Harrelson incident on Reddit? He had done years ago an Ask Me Anything, uh, an AMA on the film that was going to be released called Rampart, which actually ended up being a pretty decent film. But his question and answer that he did on, on Reddit was... He got on there, I think, thinking someone like him who's not familiar with Reddit, right, got on there thinking, oh, this is just going to be another like interview with, uh, you know, any one of the multitude of news organizations that he's been interviewed with over his career. And lo and behold, it's not like that. You know, Reddit has their own sense of humor. (laughs) You know, they have their own 
you know, inside jokes. And I don't think he was prepared for that, nor were his people, right? You just kind of have to go with it. Again, these communities have their own rhythm to them. So, first Aaron, then Ellen, then Amy. What's going on? These are three pretty dark stains on the speckled map of Reddit admin history. Does this tell us something sinister about the way the company functions internally, I want to know? Reddit would certainly like to, for lack of a better word, like brush a lot of these darker stains, you know, under the rug or brush them away completely through pumping up and promoting these more positive things that they're doing, things like raising money for charities, um, the gift exchange every year around Christmas. Or by blowing their entire marketing budget on a Super Bowl ad to highlight the power of the people on the sub Wall Street bets, perhaps. That's what they want to harp on because that's, you know, advertisers don't want their ads running alongside a story about child abuse and things like that, right? So I think they realize it's crucially important to put their best face forward, you know, as a brand. And it looks like their best face is a little less heavy on the Ellen Powell's, Aaron Schwartz's, and Amy Knight's of the world. It's time for a little break here for a quick breather. Don't go anywhere, though, because after that, we're back talking with Rob about this messy side of Reddit's corporate history and how the mods come in the firing line time and again. Hello, I'm Sam Walker. I've spent the last few months talking to this guy. If we have to pull a trigger on one person, they're all going to go. It's that simple. He's called KC. He's an American vigilante. And he kind of looked at me and I said, I swear to God, I said, if you do anything other than what I told you. Hello, it's Tom here, part of the dot-com team. Eat stress-free this spring with Factor's delicious ready-to-eat meals. Always fresh, never frozen. Each meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. I'm a flexitarian, so with a weekly menu of 35 options, there's plenty for me to choose from. Last night, I had the Moroccan-style almond-crusted salmon, and it was delicious. If you want more than meals, there's over 60 add-ons like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and smoothies to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. And if you're looking for gourmet options, you can try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. You can always pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Factor is your solution for fast premium meals without the need for cooking. So what are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash thehacking50 and use code thehacking50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code thehacking50 at factormeals.com slash thehacking50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I said, I'm going to kill you right here. Download the podcast, American Vigilante. Download American Vigilante. Out now. Now. Hello, I'm Matt Ford. And I'm Alice Levine, and we are the presenters of British Scandal, the show where we bring you stories from this green and not always so pleasant land. Alice, we've taken on plenty of British scandals on the show, but what do you think is the biggest modern British scandal? Are you referring, I presume, to the Colin the Caterpillar versus Cuthbert cake debate? Funnily enough, it does involve a birthday cake. How about a man who, up until recently, was the most powerful person in the country? From his turbulent upbringing to his debauched university days to the many, many scandals that mark his premiership, we're taking a deep dive into the world of the most scandalous Prime Minister Britain has ever seen. Can you guess what it is? Surely not the artist formerly known as Bojo. Listen to our series on Boris Johnson wherever you listen to your podcasts or listen one week early and ad-free by subscribing to Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app. You're listening to .com Reddit Land. Welcome back. The stories of Ellen, Aaron and Amy are sort of tragic. And they've made me think again about the connection between the Reddit admin and the Reddit user. Because this is the question I keep coming back to. Remember how Jefferson whimsically characterized that relationship in the last episode? It's not a cohesive, happy unit. It's more like a divorce when you have to live close to your spouse and you share children. It must be frustrating. Frustrating for the mods who aren't getting paid but are running the site day to day. And frustrating for the admin who are getting paid but are beholden to this mass community who leverage their power in the only way they can, protest. They get Ellen fired. And then four years later, the same happens with Amy. They're impassioned, they're empowered. And for good or for bad, they can get obsessive with it. It's incredibly tribal when you think about it, where people get so involved in a community or a group that it becomes them. It becomes like an exceeding part of their identity. We're back speaking with Rob, and he's got some interesting things to say about this. You know Rob by now, our Reddit whisperer, Mr. No HQ. Like, of course you have your identity online. Let's say you're a fan of, I don't know, X show on Netflix. So you sometimes amplify that show. You're like, it's a good show. It's a good show. But if you start to only exist online to amplify that show and to attack anyone that isn't, you know, aligned with your thought, then it feels like a paid job almost, like seeing people that involved. And I can't blame them because like, you know, I'm talking to you now because I got too involved in Reddit. So I spent my time on that platform in my own way. But I never can imagine being that, like becoming a foot soldier to some narrative. Rob feels so strongly about this, I think, because remember, he once was a foot soldier, what they call a power mod. Remember, he was spending about five hours a day on Reddit, so much so that it had almost become a part of him. 
There's a fascinating TED Talk called I Listen to Color by this guy called Neil Harbison. He can't see color with his eyes, so he has a machine on his head that lets him see colors through sound. And get this, he's a cyborg, someone who identifies as part human, part machine. He set up the Cyborg Foundation, which fights for cyborg rights and the right to design yourself. Fascinating and totally unbelievable slash bordering on ridiculous, I thought at first. But what Rob's saying about the crossover of our physical and digital selves has made me think again. Are we living through the ice ages of digital identity? These are just the early days of humans getting increasingly more intermingled with pixels. Maybe. But Rob didn't want that. He stepped back from Reddit, as we know, stopped modding on so many subs, and started talking about mental well-being online. You know, one thing Steve once said to me, uh, Steve Huffman, Spez, the CEO, it was about someone asked him, why don't you hire uh, Rob or Galoboo? Since, you know, he's as involved on Reddit. And he, and he replied with, why would I buy the cow if, if I, like, I'm already getting the milk or something like that, you know? Like, it's funny because, like, what, why would he... He's already benefiting from, from me, I guess, aggregating, you know, a million views a day or something. Some monstrous number back then. Not anymore, thankfully. But to which extent is he going to care if his platform is, is running, if the advertisement on the platform is bringing them money? And the ads are bringing in the money. In 2020, Reddit made a revenue of $170 million, more than doubling its revenue two years prior to that. So is this where the admin's motivation lies? The money? Rather than its users and the mods who run the site? I know individuals at Reddit, they care, but uh, they care until they, they can't anymore. So it's like you might have an opinion on like, this is good or this is bad, but yeah, at the end of the day, Reddit is going to do what Reddit wants because it's another for-profit company. <laughs> it's nothing else, you know? The fact that all these algorithms affect people and they're tuned for like an insanely for-profit approach while also trying to just amplify engagement no matter the cost. So whether it's bad engagement or engagement at the cost of your mental health, as long as you're engaged, they're getting paid. That's good. So like the very concept is, is crazy. So if Reddit's model as it stands at the moment is incompatible with the human side to it, the actual people it relies on for its success, how do we square that circle? The Reddit moderator model is confused right now, and it's almost verging on free labor. And they tried to do something, but they did like a 1% from what they could do. Sometimes they'll pay you as a mod, like a coupon or some Amazon voucher or something to take a survey, like, okay, <laughs> they'll give you a discount for, I think it was the Calm app or some kind of mindfulness mental health app. You know, they'll give you a discount or some codes, like, like okay, I guess that's something instead of nothing, but all, I've never used it. No one, I, no one in my circles ever used it. The irony of compensating your overstretched, sometimes outright depressed volunteer team with vouchers for a mental health app. Oh, I hope that's not lost on any of us. So Reddit's got a lot to think about, and the decisions it lands on depend on Steve, a steady hand, as Fernando says. But I wonder what Steve thinks about all this. What does he think about the shaky ship he's steering and how he's going to navigate across its rocky seas? Because 
he's alone. His two co-founders aren't around anymore. Aaron's gone, and since 2019, so's Alexis. Remember, he left the board after George Floyd's murder and asked to be replaced by a black candidate. Had Alexis become disenchanted with the baby he'd helped create? Did he jump ship before it could sink? Rob's the guy to ask, because he knows Alexis pretty well. So what's he like? Tall, very, very tall. Uh, he's, he's good people, honestly. He's kind of stepped away from Reddit back when he noticed that he was not as aligned anymore with the values or the direction it was heading towards. As, as far as I can tell, like that's what it looked like from the outside. Alexis is someone who has values, who wasn't afraid to speak up, often was also not afraid to admit guilt or fault. A lot of the flaws of early Reddit, he takes them upon him. He's not afraid of, you know, saying it. I don't think, for instance, Steve was as transparent as Alexis was, and that's kind of why they parted ways eventually. But uh, right now, like, Steve Huffman, is, he has a, not a target on his back, but, you know, he has a lot of baggage as far as, like, what he did against or for uh, democracy, against or for freedom of speech and all that. But I definitely respect Alexis and can comfortably say, and maybe I'm wrong, you know, but can comfortably say that I'm convinced he's someone with actual morals, regardless of his status or the fact that he's a millionaire CEO. Like He's someone who's human first for now. And I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that a lot. It's rare. <laughs> and as Fernando says when he and I talk about Alexis, maybe it just wasn't worth it for Alexis anymore. He's got a very famous spouse and a kid. Maybe the drama got too much. It's hard to see content, you know, daily that is violent and that is misogynistic and that, you know, it perhaps objectifies children or even makes fun of children. I can definitely relate to someone like Alexis who just probably didn't want to do that anymore. So Steve's battling this one out by himself, a single parent, left alone with the sole custody of a very tricky teen who's rapidly fledging into a young adult and doesn't really want you there. Well, alone with his $10 million net worth and 350 employees. And this brings us all the way back to that good old question of freedom of speech and censorship. Can we trust Steve? Ellen was the first to try to clamp down on Reddit's content, and she got kicked overboard for it. But haven't things changed since then? Isn't Reddit more willing to shut down controversial content? Just look at the 2019 ban of the Donald, which was shut down alongside 2,000 other communities. Maybe not. Since she left Reddit, Ellen's done a ton of talks about her experience with sexism and racism in Silicon Valley, even though she didn't want to speak about it to us. And she's been pretty critical of her one-time employers. Here she is speaking on the podcast Sway with the tech journalist Kara Swisher. Silicon Valley's thin skins and giant egos, it's called. Reddit's changed, right? The admin are doing a good job of cracking down on this stuff. I would disagree with that. That's what okay. they say has been done. But if you look at the site, it's a mess. It is a total mess. It's still a mess. But it is what is optically the right thing to say. So what do you do? How do you hold people accountable for damaging content they produce? Reddit has 52 million daily users. Where do you even start? I am not a big fan of regulation in this area. I don't think people will get it right. But when you get to the point where 
you know, you're having, you know, people get killed, then yeah, I think the government does need to step in because it's clear that the platforms are doing a bad job. So Reddit's failing, she's saying. In fact, when Kara asks her to rank websites like Reddit, YouTube, and Twitter according to how good they are at content moderation, one being bad and five being excellent, this is what she said about Reddit. Two. Two, because? I think they talk a good game, but they're not actually putting the work into it, and that makes it worse. And they have some of the worst users on the internet. We contacted Reddit's press office asking for a response to this, but we didn't get one. I'm back with Fernando asking him about this issue of censorship and content moderation. Unlike Ellen, he figures Reddit's done pretty well. Considering the primary muscle behind policing speech on Reddit has been through moderators, volunteer people, people who aren't paid, sometimes people who aren't even whose identities aren't even known to the administrators at Reddit. And that's another thing I've thought a lot about in making the series. The question of anonymity and how you balance that against accountability. Because here's the thing. It's kind of like the Wild West of nobody's accountable. But on the other hand, if everybody's track downable and you can litigate against everything they say, Reddit might be turned into a ghost town. So how does the admin address that? Unevenly, says Fernando. You want to, I know the company I think wants to foster and continue to foster the sense of anonymity uh, so people can try to be their true selves, right? Like in the ideal sense, you know, if you're like in a religious sect or, or cult or some matter and you want to take refuge on a place like Reddit and share how you really feel, you know, things like that. I remember back when I was at the Herald Leader, uh, a newspaper in Lexington, Kentucky, there was a man who was about to go off to prison and uh, for, uh, you know, drug possession. And he he took solace on places like Reddit's opiates community to seek out support on how he could cope in prison and, and, and ask people to send him letters. Wow. You know, that's the ideal. And I think what you see more often than not is, again, the abuse of Reddit's, uh, you know, pseudo on, pseudo-anonymous system. And how we deal with those people who abuse the anonymity of Reddit's system is something we still haven't figured out. Here's Rob again. Yes, people have the right to express themselves. And no, it doesn't mean you are free from repercussion. So that, that's kind of the thing. So it's like life is about you make an input and then you get an output kind of reaction that happens. Everyone is online. So why isn't like online harassment dealt with the same way as in real life harassment? It's like the same thing almost since we exist 90% of our lives online. It's all about accountability. You can't just be a ghost and ruin someone's life and then walk away unscathed just because you can like throw a phone away, you know, or make a new account. That is not going to scale well with humanity and not where with where we're headed. Fernando thinks in a world of high-speed change and high-quality competition and tarnished with its history of martyred pioneers, Reddit's got about five to ten years left in the tank. And that's if it can figure out the final piece of the puzzle, he says. The mod problem. Whether, and how, to compensate its unpaid workers and the burden they carry on the admin's behalf. And on top of that, there are those two tensions which nobody yet knows how to resolve. Anonymity versus accountability. And censorship versus free speech. 
We can't allow hate speech to proliferate under the banner of free speech, but we should tread carefully with how readily we choose to edit and who we're leaving those decisions to. As Nate said, bad things happen when good people do nothing. And if it can't figure out where it stands on those questions, maybe the sites do its own tumble over the glass cliff in the footsteps of Ellen Powell. Eyes are going to be on Reddit much more from now on. It announced at the end of last year it's going public, making its tentative first steps into adulthood. Going public means the company will open up to new public investors for the first time, rather than just private ones, meaning it's going to be much more easily and widely scrutinized, answerable to a wider range of voices. Going public feels like the ultimate culmination of Reddit's journey. It's gone from the dark days of jailbait and Ellen Powell's controversial tenure to now, where hate speech is readily banned and co-founders are quitting calling to be replaced by black board members. All steps in the right direction. But I wonder if the old school Redditors will feel that it's losing that punk rock spirit. Because as Fernando says... I mean, you don't get more grown up as a company than going public, right? So I think, yeah, it's going to be something really fascinating to see is how they navigate that, how Reddit administrators navigate that world of trying to keep Reddit as freewheeling as possible, but while also keeping revenue coming in, getting these big name advertisers. Yeah, it's it's going to be a, a very delicate juggling act. There's a lot of ways Reddit really has made the world suck less. Like its absurdism and its creativity in quiet and quirky nooks and crannies that can give people a sense of purpose and validation. Like River and the Mandela Effect, or Jefferson and Black Fathers, or the nonprofit that Rob's now setting up with Nick that focuses on mental well being in the digital realm. And in big ways, too. In grander, more dramatic gestures of community and people power. Like the GameStop short squeeze, or the anti-fascist protesters standing on the streets of Charlottesville in 2017. Or the 135 subs that went dark in protest about COVID misinformation. And the message of all these stories? You matter. What we do and what we say matters. We have power. Use it. Dot Com is an original production by Crowd Network and is presented by me, Katie Puckrick. It's written and produced by Anna Stauffenberg and is edited by Crawford Blair. The music we use is from our partner's BMG Production Music. That's it for this series of Dot Com, but if you're twiddling your thumbs and itching to dig into another podcast, go and check out the Crowd Stories channel on Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe to it for less than four pounds a month And for that low, low price, you can get access to ad-free episodes of the entire back catalog of .com. So Reddit Land and Series 1 on Wikipedia, as well as other fantastic documentary series like American Vigilante and Flight 149. What a deal. And that's the one I'd say to start with first, Flight 149. It's an investigation into the crazy and true story of when a flight was diverted and taken hostage by Iraqi soldiers and Saddam Hussein. You'll hear from the people who were used as human shields, and it uncovers why this plane was allowed to go missing and why the truth's been hidden for so long. Thanks for sticking with us. We really appreciate it. 
Keep your eyes peeled for season three of Dot Com coming soon. Crowd Network, a place where you belong. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. The Premier League soccer season is heating up. Turn to Betting Weekly English Premier League on the Bet Rivers Network for the best bets and analysis for this week's fixtures. Subscribe to Betting Weekly Premier League today wherever you get your podcasts. 